And back for another edition live here at the uh, Dr. Payne Show at 12.04 on your Saturday afternoon. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have issues, you have pain issues, rehab issues. It's uh, you know tinnitus and, and golfer's elbow, which I can tell you right now is just dreadful. All that it's stuff. It doesn't matter. for a long time. You know what I mean? And I'm so busy. Yeah. Dude, I can't come and see you and get it treated. It's I know, just a, even though I've offered. But that's the problem with the population is it's always, I'm too busy until yeah. these things get exactly. to a point where they... Uh, affect your life in a negative way, and it stops you from what you you need to do. Exactly. You got uh, some week that was. That's how we always start the show, some cases that have been through your clinic. Yep. And a reminder, uh, by the way, to all our listeners, and I know a ton have come to see you this past week after the show. Uh, free consultations are there yep, to, free to consultations, get your problem yep. underway. So yeah, a lot of people have been listening. Uh, they've been frequent listeners, actually, which is great to hear that they're uh, coming back week after week to listen, and they're following through. They want to get their problems fixed, uh, and they're finding great results, which mm-hmm. is even more important. One case that I had this week that I really wanted to speak about, not so much because of the case, but to highlight how the same type of disease or pathology can affect different people in a different way. So the case is um, uh, a patient who was actually listening to our show when we were talking about uh, the referral pain into the ear that can cause some tinnitus mm-hmm. uh, type of noise, and she comes in. She has a history of 25 years uh, of tinnitus, very low-level tinnitus, though, something that's manageable, does have hearing loss. Uh, Five years ago, goes to a concert. Uh, In that concert, for whatever reason, I guess it was loud, she comes out, now everything's a little bit worse. Uh, And it's to a point where it's kind of unbearable. She's also had... um, hearing aids implanted Mm -hmm. uh, so that she has it full time. However, she still has this tinnitus. Uh, So she comes to seek my opinion and she's been to ENT. She's been to audiologist. She's had this looked at very well. Um, So basically in my exam, what I'm essentially doing at that point, anytime I'm looking at pain or whatever the symptom is, it doesn't just have to be pain in this scenario, it's tinnitus. What I'm looking for is, okay, based on the things that I can do, can I either diminish or make uh, the the symptom worse. So am I either going to make it better with some of the testing that I do, or am I going to make it worse? So I start doing some testing to her. And again, we've spoken about this. When you're looking at something like the ears uh, and, and tinnitus and a noise, you got to look at a couple different things. You got to look at the ear itself, whether it's a conductive hearing loss problem or a problem with the nerve in the ear. You got to look at the vestibular system, which includes neck movements uh, and how those neck movements affect the inner ear. Um, and, and also the vision aspect can affect it. So the vestibular system oh. is kind of those three things. It's even a little bit more, but as a broad uh, aspect, it's those things. And so we start taking a look at things. And the only time I'm actually able to uh, change the, the level of her tinnitus is with uh, a test actually looking at the inner ear canals. Now, when problems with the inner ear canals happen, what most often happens, the symptom is actually vertigo. So a lot of our Listeners have probably had vertigo and have been told it's an issue with the inner ear uh, and it's a crystal issue where Mm -hmm. they move in a certain way. And so I checked it anyways. And what was interesting was that was the only time we were able to affect her tinnitus. And so basically what I basically said at that point was not everybody that has an inner ear problem has to experience vertigo. Sometimes you can have atypical symptoms. And what I mean by atypical is in most people with that issue, they would experience vertigo. However, this patient isn't experiencing vertigo. She's experiencing a noise, a tinnitus. Uh, And so now she's never been treated from this 
inner ear component. And so now we've started her and we don't know yet the outcome of this, but we've made suggestions and recommendations where she's going to come in and do some vestibular rehabilitation uh, along with working on the inner ear. And, you know, in a few weeks, I'll be able to tell our listeners how this is happening and how she's progressing. But the very, very interesting thing that I noticed in that and something that she had never been told is that you can't look at Google and and whatever else and just look at the symptoms and assume that that's the only way that a symptom can present to a pathology. There's lots of people that have a certain pathology, a certain disease, a certain injury, and it presents atypically. And so the practitioner, like I always say, has to do a good job of understanding that atypical symptoms exist. And when they do exist, not dismissing it to say, okay, well, it can't be that because it's not that symptom. Not everything is textbook. It's just the reality. If if everything was textbook, this would be a very, very easy profession. And people are built differently. Absolutely. Straight up, right? Yeah, it's, you're built differently. And then you're going to have those symptoms present in a different way. And you have to take that person. My biggest thing is looking at everyone like an individual. We can't, we have lots of guidelines in healthcare where diagnostic guidelines uh, and um, examination guidelines and guidelines are great because they help a train of thought, but you can't dismiss clinical experience. You can't dismiss someone's ability to think critically and say, okay, hang on a sec. What else could this be? Just because it's not typical, uh, could it also still be this? And then treat it because now you're potentially helping a patient. And we've had this a lot since we've started the show. Patients that have been living, we had a caller last week who called in, was talking about after four treatments, and I didn't ask him to call in. He just called in, and I'm sure a lot of our patients are listening, and if they have good success stories, we'd love to hear about them. It's just the reality. You have to look at the patient individually, assess it individually, and that will get you to the right answer. What is the definition of tinnitus? Tinnitus is, is, it's very hard because, it, again, it could change patient to patient, but right. what a tinnitus is is essentially a ringing in the ears is, is really yeah. what it is. And now it's a matter of, okay, what's causing that tinnitus? More often than not, it is a hearing issue, something like a conductive hearing loss or what's called a sensoneural hearing loss, which is uh, the nerve that actually connects to the eardrum that takes the information to the brain, there could be a problem there, or it can be a conductive issue. You, kids get this a lot, where they have something in their ear or wax buildup, that could lead to a conductive problem, so you're not hearing those things. Right. We'll take a quick break. We'll get into the uh, topic of headaches. This is a broad one, as always, under that topic or any others. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Just getting warmed up, the Dr. Payne Show, with my good pal Luigi Nally here. Dr. Payne Care. That's him. More on Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1213-416-870-6400-640 on cell. We'd love to talk to you, have some issues. Uh, give Dr. Uh, Lou here a call right till uh, 1 o'clock. We'd love to get your opinion and your comments uh, on the air as well. Let's get into the uh, the broad topic of headaches. Very, right? very broad topic, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's really, yeah, and, and I guess for our listeners, you got to step back, and when we look at headaches, we got to st- – try to classify because okay. a lot of it's just a symptom right it's the same as a fever what's causing that fever right. so we broadly will classify things as primary headaches and secondary headaches primary headaches are things that the head pain is actually a result of whatever's causing it as an example you can have migraines which right. is a primary type of headache tension type of headaches which are related to the, the neck, neck muscles the upper back muscles the joints and how that relates to it uh, and then you can go into secondary headaches secondary headaches are things like your spouse yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry we'll have to add that to the list yeah, <laughs> All right. yeah. they may actually have it in the international classification i'm not sure i've never looked um 
But yeah, so it would be things like, let's say you had a head trauma. You're in a car accident, you have a head trauma, and now you develop a headache. So now it's related to, uh, it's secondary to that. It could also be secondary to say something like um, a brain tumor, like some type of intracranial growth. So when we're looking at headaches, that's the first thing we're looking at. We're trying to classify, okay, where does this fall on the spectrum of headaches? More often than not, 99% of the time, most headaches are benign in nature, which means we're looking at the primary type of stuff related to either migraine or tension type of headaches. Once we look at, once we're able to determine, okay, there's not a, because the first job is let's determine it's not due to something else. Let's make sure this isn't like a stroke happening, something that's very life-threatening, a tumor, something that needs to get looked at that's just putting pressure on the brain, causing an issue. So now, more often than not, we, we don't find those things. And then we're left with, okay, a person that has headaches. Um, then we look at the headaches. And when you look at something like migraine and tension type of headaches, the research actually on a lot of this stuff is kind of still open. We don't know for sure, uh, but we definitely are starting to understand a little bit more. And when we look at things like the migraine and cluster type of headaches, we're definitely looking at more of a vascular type of issue where there's a blood flow issue. Uh, And then broadly, when you look at the tension type headaches, you're looking at a neck component, something wrong with the joint, the muscles, et cetera. But when we look at it even further, the interesting part is that oftentimes it's very hard to ever say to someone that you just have migraines. A lot of people that have migraines also have a tension type of component oh, to okay. the migraine and vice versa. So what I'm basically trying to get across is when we're treating these people, it's not as simple as just saying, okay, you have a tension type headache, get a massage, you're going to be better. Because a lot of the times they don't feel better because there's also another secondary component going on uh, that you kind of have to look at everything. And it, it, it's funny, I find it, I'm sure you have this in your clinic as well. Again, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. If you're suffering from these or have an opinion, we'd love to uh, love to hear from you. These things can start, and I never knew this later in life. Well, I always knew it, but I never fell victim of it. I mean, it was two weeks ago, and it was weird. I was I was at home, personal story, and I was I was making breakfast. I was down cooking eggs, and I'm like, okay, I can't see out of my left eye. Mm-hmm. It's all sparkly. It's like, what, yeah. am I having a stroke? And my <laughs> wife's like, no, you're having a migraine. Go, How do you know? She goes, because you're going to have the sparkle in your eye. She goes, in about 20 minutes, you're going to get your vision back. And the pain is going to come across the right side over the right side of your head. I go, how, how can you be so exact with this? Because she's a migraine sufferer, Suffer. severe migraine sufferer. Right. And sure enough, as we were eating, I'm going, you know what? I can see, but the damn right side of my head hurts. She nailed it. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm you know, mid-40s, and I've never had never had head problems, never got headaches before right. in my life yep. to last more than 40 seconds. Yeah. But now it's creeping up. There's always a first time for everything. Right. Is the, a lot of people say that. They come in and they say, I've never had this issue. Well, right. You now have, and here's the other thing. It's sometimes it's just, we've, and I've tried to get this point across where pain is the end result of a dysfunction, right? So there may be a lot of things going on and until the pain presentation happens, it's just the final straw that broke the camel's back type of thing. So there may have been things going on throughout your life that have led to that point. And then all of a sudden you start suffering from it, but definitely, and again, we wanna be cautious with our listeners. When there are certain weird symptoms, And it's very hard because one of the symptoms of, say, for example, stroke is blurry vision. So how do you distinguish blurry vision versus what you're describing, which is actually termed an aura, uh, is the term that they use for migraines with aura. And you can also have migraines without aura. And those things can include visual disturbances or hearing disturbances. This is the neurological component. It's it's just it's affecting the neurology, the blood flow a little bit. And so you start to get these weird symptoms and then it gets really bad. And a lot of times people will say, I can't 
have the lights on. I can't have yeah. any noise. I need to be in a dark room. Wrap a towel around my head tightly, that whole yeah. thing. And all you're doing is just minimizing neural stimulation. That's the key in those types of situations is you got to minimize the neural uh, stimulation. An interesting thing about headaches and when people start to develop headaches or have had headaches for a long time is we ask people to create a headache diary. And so essentially what that diary is, is, is you're essentially trying to document. So all of a sudden a headache comes on. You try to remember what you did the day before, what you ate recently, uh, what the temperature is like outside, everything possible that you can. It's a, it's a journal. You try to be as specific as possible on what's happening around this headache so that over time, as we st- tend to look at this diary, we can find common things. This is where you've heard people say, oh, if I eat chocolate, I get migraines. It's yeah. because they've been able to deductively determine, here's what sets me off. This is what sets me off. It's chocolate. If I eat chocolate, especially if it's cold outside or whatever weird things, it sets me off. And so this is very important for people who are listening to create these headache diaries because it will allow you to see where the common features are. And if you can eliminate those common features, then you may be able to prevent the headache. Or if you're going to do those things, at the very least, you know the risk, right? Right. And some people know, yeah, I know if I eat chocolate, I'm going to get a headache, but it's worth it for me right now. Now (laughs) I want this chocolate, I'll take the headache. So, But that's, at the very least, you've been able to determine that. We'll uh, take a quick break. You have questions, concerns. We're going to talk about how you treat these uh, these headaches when we come back. It's 416-870-6400, star. 640 on sale. And by the way, free consultations to see uh, Dr. Lou anytime. 1-855-55-DR. Lou. Dr. Payne Show. Talk radio. AM 640. It is 1223. Your phone calls. We got open lines. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on sale. You want to talk to Dr. Lou. You got headache concerns or any other uh, physical concerns for that matter. We'll, uh, we'll bring it up here on the show and you can get some opinion. Yeah. Treating headaches, migraines. I know we talked about just moments ago off the air. There's lots of... Uh, Things that can cause them. It could be food based. It could be mm-hmm. sleep. It could be stress. It could be, you know, for ladies, it can be, you know, that, that time of the month. It's part yeah. of it, right? And, it's low and, iron. And it's pretty funny because I, I, my wife's at home listening and she just texted me and said, talk about my headaches as they're related to my low iron and my periods. And so as I was telling mm-hmm. you off the air, um, and you know, this is sometimes the dangerous thing about letting, um, you can't rely on your closest family members to be your doctors right. because you, they tend to dismiss things. And so obviously I've been with my wife for a long time and she's had headaches, but they've in the recent past been getting a little bit worse. And finally, I decided to treat her like a little bit of a patient. And we had had just uh, some recent blood work that indicated she was low on iron mm-hmm. anyways. And she's having this really bad headache one day. And so I'm treating her more like a patient and I'm trying to figure out like that common feature, yep. like what's going on here. And turns out it's, her menstrual cycle is happening and she's got low iron. And now low iron, a lot, there's a lot of symptoms that go along with low iron, could be fatigue, could be headaches, et cetera, right. et cetera. Um, and this is where, again, the individual case, a lot of people would just look at iron and say that's related more to fatigue than anything else. Obviously, as a woman is on her menstrual cycle, she's losing more blood. So if she already has low iron, as you're losing blood, you're going to lose more and more iron. And so my recommendation for her was essentially when you know that your time of the month is getting close, you need to start increasing the foods that are steak for for dinner, steak, oatmeal, (laughs) whatever is whatever is high in iron. And the reason why she messaged me is because she was just saying, I've never had those headaches anymore since you told me to do that, because now I know when I'm getting close to that time of the month, I start to beef up, <laughs> pardon the pun, sure. yeah, I started to beef up the, the amount yeah. of iron that I'm uh, intaking and then she's feeling better. But this is, 
you know, a lot of these things are very, very simple when someone just looks at it and uses good deductive reasoning. And this is something she's been suffering with for a long time. Um, I guess part of the fault is me because I never decided to treat her more like a patient. Uh, so, uh, but definitely there's a lot of people that would just, and we see this a lot in our clinic and the people that have been coming in as a result of the show. It's just one or two simple things that I'm telling them and it's making the world of the difference and it ends there. And then they're able to do that stuff on their own. They get better. And, and as I've always said, education and empowerment is where the change in healthcare will be. And those are the things that are really going to make people better in the future and not just relying on someone else to make you better. We got to open phone lines, guys. We'd love to love to hear from you this afternoon. 416-870-6400 star 640 on cell. These symptoms sound familiar uh, to you how else uh, do you treat headaches in that regard again it, go, it comes back to what's uh the cause of the headache as i was alluding to before one of the things that with headaches more often than not even if it is a migraine or something else primary type of headache and non-pathological like mm-hmm. not brain tumors brain cancers we're not going to treat those those are definitely different things but things that are non-pathological and affect more the quality of life we there's a lot of times more often than not and it's a reality of our circumstances we're always sitting we're driving we're at a desk there's there tends to be even if it's a true migraine we've had people that have come in they've been diagnosed by a neurologist they have a migraine it's absolutely a migraine but we start treating the tension component you start checking their back their muscles and yeah it turns out yeah you know what there is a component Uh there a lot of headaches people are just feeling just above their neck and referral patterns and that's all it is and then if you're able to treat the neck and the back it goes along with the good advice obviously for the headache diary like figuring out what's setting off the the vascular issue with the migraine but definitely i do find treating the neck the upper back um has a big big uh, impact on any type of headache that's primary and non-pathological does tend to help a lot of the times for sure. Because it, the, the number of people, and I guess, you know, you talk about no posture is good posture. Posture seems to be such a big thing. A lot of sitting now, a lot yep. of heads being better with cell phones. Yep. I mean, that's huge, right? Well, we were talking about last week and the week that was, we were talking about that student of mine uh, that I was able to assess and look at her, her lordosis and her neck is accentuated and that's probably leading to her headache. So when I saw her again this week, our class asked her, how is she doing? Great. No headaches. Now, it's only been a week, but I basically asked her, in this period of time, would you have expected a headache regularly? She said, yeah, I probably should have already had one. So knock on wood, she still has not had a headache, and that's good. But she's been more cognizant of trying to change her posture dynamically. With me, when I say that no posture is good posture, my basic point is you have to be dynamic. And I don't want her sitting straight. I want her moving around. And when she's feeling something, start getting those joints lubricated. Most of the joints in our body are what are called synovial joints. They only get lubrication through movement. It's kind of like as you move a little bit of WD-40 gets put into that joint. And that sometimes can make all the difference. We'll get to uh, Nicole in Etobicoke. Good afternoon, Nicole. Hi. Um, I've I've, uh, I've recently just changed doctors. My my neurologist is retired, and they sent me to a new person. I've got C5, C6, and C7 are titanium-fused, and I've got transverse myelitis about mid-spine, I guess, about four inches is is disappeared. uh, I do have migraine headaches, um, but I haven't had them. I was on a pain um, management um, bunch of medication for about eight, nine years, and they seem to take care of the headaches, the migraines. But now um, I've got a new doctor who has a new way of thinking, and she's not really working out with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm wondering if what to do from here. Like, um, uh, 
she's messing up the medication that was working to an extent. Now mm-hmm. I'm getting headaches weekly. Um, my migraines are back. Have you had this conversation with the new doctor, letting her know that things are, you know, things were once upon a time working well enough for you versus now with this new approach, they're not working as well? Yeah, she says that this is her way of doing it. And the government also has um, uh, tapped down on on uh, use of narcotics opioids for um, for the pain. So right. she's trying to do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's having a whole bunch of bad side effects. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a very complicated question because with something like that, with a neurologist dealing with it, you definitely want to have a discussion. One of the things that I always talk about and healthcare practitioners, people who are evidence-based mm-hmm. care practitioners, mm-hmm. there's three components to evidence-based care. There's the research that's available to us, so what the literature actually suggests is going to work or not work. Then mm-hmm. there's the practitioner experience, but the last part of it is the patient, what the patient wants, right? So it sounds like she's looking at the research. It sounds like she's very much uh, basing it on her clinical experience, uh, but she's eliminating that third factor, which is also uh, the patient, what the patient wants. Sure. And so at the end of the day, and and this is not me telling you to to not use this doctor, but I'm just giving every everybody deserves to know this advice. You're mm-hmm. part of your healthcare choices, right? So if uh, you're technically the boss, right? You're you're in charge of of your healthcare. These people are there. We're here to guide you along the way, make recommendations. But you're you have to be an informed consumer and make the choice for yourself. Now it may be maybe having a deeper conversation with her and letting her know like there's something. And you know what? She is right. It's a very tricky question because the opiate uh, epidemic that's happening. It's yeah, we're going to talk about this a lot next week. Uh, And it's very it's very, very dangerous. And we do need to find a way to uh, move people from those types of drugs uh, to better approaches to pain management, because there's a lot of addiction being created. It was interesting yesterday as I was watching the news, uh, I noticed uh, and this is an American stat, but I think it's still highlights the point that last year in the United States, there were more deaths related to opiate overdose than there were to gun violence. That's huge. And that's crazy to think that that's how far we've progressed with with where we're at with pain medication and and the serious consequences that it has. Nicole, appreciate your call. And we got phone lines open for you as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. It's the Dr. Pain Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1234. Your phone calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Lots of time to get through and uh, talk to us. You have health concerns. Uh, Dr. Lou is here to answer all of your questions. Moving on to, well, we're not moving away from the head. We will stay there, but uh, we want to talk about uh, concussions for a little bit as yeah. well. Yeah, and uh, we we actually had Dr. Adrian Rossi on the show yes. uh, a month and a half ago or so talking about a lot of the treatment that he does towards concussions. I thought it was also important to highlight again uh, with concussions. The one thing with concussions is I guess most people assume that concussion only goes along with sport, sports, right? Like yeah. I think that's, uh, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's the... You're thinking uh, hockey, NFL. Yeah, right. that's, that seems to be the, the the perception that most people that I have talked to or the, that the people that I talk to have. Um, and it's wrong because concussion is just when the brain essentially moves within the skull and there's coop counter coop, which is it hitting one end and then hitting the other hand and causing a very tons of different types of neurological symptoms all the way from headaches to vomiting to blurry vision to fatigue to numbness and tingling etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. and 
Um, you know, it's very common, especially in this time of the year, I find a lot of people related with car accidents. Yeah. They're coming in uh, and they're talking about all these weird symptoms. And then finally, when I tell them, you know, it sounds like you probably have a concussion. It's like, well, I don't have a concussion. I, I wasn't, wasn't playing hockey. I wasn't playing hockey. It's yeah. like, well, no, you, you had yeah, head dude. trauma that led to concussion type of symptoms. Uh, and, you know, slips and falls with the ice coming now, yeah. same type of thing. These things are very real and it's important. And concussion is a very, very important thing to get diagnosed the right way and get treated the right way because concussions tend to get worse as they continue to happen. And the unfortunate reality of our lives is we will undergo head trauma, whether it's someone who slaps you in the back of the head. I, I've had patients who, when we start looking back in their history, it's something as simple as like, you know, their brother slapped them in the back of the head and it led to concussion type of wow. symptoms, right? Like if you're hit the right way, it's going to cause a concussion. And, and it's very dangerous that over time, these neurological symptoms can get worse and worse. And then you can develop things like chronic headaches and how much of that is related... It's interesting, and we don't have research to, to look at this, but it would be interesting to find out how many headaches out there that people are suffering from are related to some type of a head trauma that led to some type of a concussion right. and now has just not been treated the right way and is there. So, um, you know, there are things vestibular rehabilitation towards concussions is a very good way uh, to get these things treated. And we use this with a lot of our patients Um that have these neurological types of symptoms. And when I say neurological, I mean anything kind of related to the head. The reality about when we've talked about shoulder pain, knee pain, we can touch the shoulder, we can touch the knee. Uh, the difficult thing about the brain is we can't touch the brain, right? right? So, so you have to look at, well, how do you have an effect on the brain without touching the brain? And as Dr. Rossi will tell you, you can use the eyes, you can use noise, you can use these uh, head movements, the things that contribute to vesti uh, the vestibular system, and you can manipulate those um, things in order to have a, an effect on the brain right. to change the symptoms that these people are going through. And a lot of times when people do these types of things, they find great, great outcomes that they're getting better because now the brain is being affected in the right way versus the wrong way. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. If you want to contribute, we'd love to get your uh, call on here during the, during the show. It's, it's something we discussed last time too, I think with Dr. Rossi, and it's the misconception, or that's not really a misconception, but people put helmets on and they're great mm -hmm. for protecting the outside of your skull, but it doesn't slow down the brain smacking on the inside. When you, you, you whack your head on the wall, mm -hmm. yeah. whether you have a helmet on or not, you yeah. can still get a concussion. Yeah, and, right? and you know what? Again, not saying that people should not be wearing helmets. Of course Absolutely necessary. They're great, but that does not prevent concussion. Like if, if they did, then we would never hear about concussion yeah. in hockey, in football, right. riding a bike and falling, et cetera, any helmet-based sport. The reality is it's probably much better at preventing, you know, a fracture that leads to a brain bleed that kills you, but does it actually prevent the movement of the brain with uh, within the can't. head? No, it can't. You're not affecting the inside of the brain. You have to do the right things in order to do that. And the reality is this. Again, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be playing football. We shouldn't be playing hockey. I think we have to do a very good job of the organizations itself doing a good job of minimizing the risk of these types of things. Uh, but I also think that People need to understand there's what we're moving towards a lot of baseline testing for individuals. So if okay. you have kids playing sports, it's not a bad idea to get them a baseline testing on their neurology. Where are they right now? So that if they sustain a concussion, the hard thing with getting people better is to what extent you have to get them better. If you don't know what where they were before, what are you aiming for? And it's not just as easy as talking to a parent and saying, yeah, my kid was fine. No, well, they may still have 
some type of a neurological sure. deficit. Not everybody works the same way. So you can get a baseline testing where you understand, okay, here's where this person functions most of the time. If you have some type of a concussion, now we know where we need to get them back to. So this testing, you're saying you can do that before you begin the sports, just, as a, just as a printout a, of what's a, going on. A lot on. of leagues are moving towards this no where, they're, where they're looking at baseline testing. I remember when I first started uh, practicing, I was working with a football team, uh, and I'm not going to mention any names. And I remember saying, you know, we need to get all these kids uh, baseline testing on their neurological mm-hmm. function. And the person who organized the league basically turned to me and said, that's not happening because I don't want to scare the parents into thinking that their kids are going to get a concussion. Wow. And I said, that's not the point of this. We need to understand where they're at right now. And I essentially stopped working with that team because that person didn't want my ideology there. Uh, and essentially, I said to them, you're going to feel one day the same way people once felt when they said that they shouldn't wear seatbelts, that seatbelts wouldn't save lives. Right, right. And now most leagues are introducing baseline testing because it's just the reality. We need to understand that. Got uh, Yola in Mississauga. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How Hi. are you? What's your concern? My concern is if there are any relations of uh, headaches to the hormones. I usually get a headache a couple of days before my period or a week later, and okay. uh, my doctor did some tests of my hormones. He said everything is fine, okay. but for the last five, six years, I would save. Uh, I would say there is like every two, three weeks, I do get uh, headaches, uh, mm-hmm. which last for four or five days, so usually I don't sleep three, day, three nights in a row. Okay. I've been admitted at emergency a couple of times. I just had um, IDs with some painkillers, and I usually release home without any tests. And um, I'm looking for some solutions. Yeah. So again, with any time when a woman talks about uh, a headache related or close to the time of that of the month, the menstrual cycle, the reality <laughs> is you're losing blood. So. Anybody that loses blood is going to have some type of symptom going on. So it's not uncommon for someone like you because, again, as you're losing blood, you're, you're losing iron. You're losing a lot of other vital things that are in that blood. One of the things is we have blood sugar in our blood that goes to the brain. Our, the primary source of uh, energy that the brain wants is sugar, glucose. is glucose. The body will do everything possible. It will break itself down, muscle, fat, whatever it takes to create glucose for the brain because that's the only thing the brain is going to use. So a lot of times it could be related to when you're losing that ability of that blood glucose. Well, maybe it could be you need iron. It could be you need some glucose. This is where you have to kind of try things and keep a diary where you're able to find these things out. Uh, The other thing is it sounds, again, and and I've said this to multiple, multiple people over the history of the show, it sounds like you're not really doing the right treatments. Medication is a great thing for helping to mask a symptom, but sometimes you have to target the issue. And as I was talking to John about, um, you know, a lot of times there is a neck or a back component also going on with these headaches. And it's important to get everything assessed around the headache, not just looking at is it most people worry about is it, you know, cancer or is it a stroke? And after that, it's like, I'll just leave it if it's not those two things. You, right. you, you can't do that. You have to get treatment. This will never get better if it doesn't get treated the right way. It will just continue to get worse. And that's the unfortunate reality. And so I would encourage you Give us a call. Get that free consultation. We'll look at it. We'll figure it out. Hang on, Mark and Shane. We'll get to you guys as well. Uh, yeah, Lola, uh, Yola, one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou is that number. For the rest of you, give us a call. we got more time until 1 o'clock to take your phone calls on the Dr. Payne Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1246 here, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400. Yeah, that is the number. Got uh, Mark online. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? Good, sir. What's, uh, what's your concern? Um... 
a few months ago, actually it would have been September, uh, first week of school, my daughter, she's 12, was playing in the, in the uh, playground, and one of her friends pushed her a little bit too hard, and she smacked her head really hard into the side of the school wall. Okay. Well, she was really dizzy afterward. Um, she lost consciousness for a, uh, a few minutes, I'm told. And when she woke, she had really bad headaches and was vomiting. Well, her mom, mm-hmm. her mom's a nurse, um, has worked at a children's hospital uh, for the majority of her career, actually, uh, mm-hmm. over 10 years, decided she was just going to bring her home and just monitor her and okay. um, see how everything went. Well, she was vomiting. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if it's just a, uh, a fracture or something like that, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't induce vomiting. I mean, I don't uh, vo- start vomiting when I break my arm. Obviously, if there's vomiting, that must be something to do with the brain. Mm-hmm. Um my ex-wife just said she'd monitor her and keep her at home. Well, I'm concerned because my daughter never went to see a doctor ever. Mm-hmm. I'm curious now if there's any possibility that sometime in the future this may affect her, or would it still be now this late after the incident, now being December, um, would it be worth it to still take her to a doctor? Yeah, so I, and I, you know, I don't want to comment on what your wife did, uh, you know, whether it was wrong or not. What I can tell you is this, when you go to a hospital with some type of head trauma, their job is not to treat concussion. Their job is simply, is this a concussion or is this life-threatening, right? Because a concussion is not necessarily life-threatening, but say something like a brain hemorrhage is life-threatening. So the job of any emergency room would simply be, is this life-threatening, yes or no? Which maybe that's where your wife was trying to do. She's, you know, there's a lot of clinical symptoms that will indicate if something is life-threatening versus non-life-threatening. You don't always need uh, medical imaging. And I guess if you're a good healthcare practitioner, uh, you may want to try to monitor. Again, I'm not suggesting that anybody should do that. I actually agree. Probably going to the hospital initially is not a bad idea. Uh, But the reality is that hospital would have determined essentially what we know now, because your daughter's thankfully still here, is that this was not life-threatening. So it's a concussion. Now she needs to get the concussion symptoms treated. If she doesn't have concussion symptoms, that's great. Uh, But like, as I mentioned, that doesn't mean that they can't happen again, because now her brain may be, and a lot of things, although they may not be apparent symptoms, there could still be underlying symptoms uh, that she's just not feeling right now. So there could be, again, what I talk about, a dysfunction uh, in the vestibular system that's happening that she just doesn't have anything. And then one day maybe she develops headaches or whatever. But definitely it's worthwhile to get the treatment aspect. Going to the hospital now is not going to do anything. Uh, Even probably going to the family doctor is not going to do anything. They'll probably refer her out uh, for the vestibular rehabilitation or whatever else there may be. So you probably need somebody who can look at that aspect a little bit more on the spot and someone who can diagnose and treat at the same time is probably a more efficient use of the time. Um, and I will say that Dr. Rossi, who's on my team is, is the best person that I know for that stuff. He's awesome. He has great outcomes with, uh, with people with these types of symptoms and people just get better. He's awesome. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No problem. Mark, uh, just in case, one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou is the number. Uh, Shane, we'll squeeze you in here before the break. How are you, pal? I'm, I'm great, thank you. Uh, one, my question is about uh, vertigo, and it seems that there. I've been to a couple of different doctors, and there. Well, I don't know if there's really anything you can do. We can try this maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like uh, I've got that full feeling in one ear. Um, they check the ear, and they say, "No, your ears are clear." I can hear crackling in my ear, like I've got a buildup of wax or something in there. Okay. Uh, the only scene. The only thing that seems to work for me is uh, decongestants. Can you give me any hope that there's a cure for this? 
So you said that you've gone and they've got you to kind of do different head movements and then have they given you exercises for um, to do some type of repositioning? It's called the Epley's repositioning maneuver. Have you heard of that? Yes, that's what they did in the office. Okay, and that's it? They only did it that one time? I've had it done on two separate occasions. Yeah, so that's absolutely wrong. When you have something wrong with the vestibular system like that, it's like anything. Imagine this. If, if you said, I have shoulder pain, and I said, okay, it's due to a weak deltoid, as an example, and the solution was we got to do exercise for it, and I said, okay, let's do one exercise right now in my office, and then one other time. Is your deltoid going to get better? No, sir. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Those no. exercises, Epley's repositioning maneuver, if that's the cause, right? I don't know because I haven't assessed you, but if that's the recommendation, that's a maneuver that is actually an exercise you should be it's showing ongoing. to the patient. Go home and do it over a period of time. If you said to me, I did it three times a day for four weeks and I don't feel better, then I'd say, okay, then it's probably not as a result of that. But in the absence of doing it that much, I don't think you can make the conclusion that that's not the answer then. Shane, uh, love the phone call. We appreciate you calling in. Hang on the line. We'll get to you as well. The number 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It's the Dr. Payne Show. Talk radio AM 640. Dr. Payne Show, your phone calls 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Mike, uh, thanks for hanging in there, fellow. What's going on? Hey, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'd like to know about hemoglobin. Okay. How low is too low? <laughs> okay. Uh, it depends on men versus women, and the and the blood test will usually just indicate if it's low. Uh, but the hemoglobin is essentially a protein that carries iron, uh, or sorry, that is made up of iron that uh, carries the oxygen uh, throughout the body. So it's mm-hmm. what holds, as we breathe in, the blood that, oxygen gets bound to the hemoglobin and then it goes to the different areas of the body and it delivers oxygen because our body our muscles our tissues all need oxygen to survive so that's the essential part of hemoglobin in terms of uh what's too low you're a man so i believe for men the range is 13.5 to 17.5 uh so anything lower than that i guess would be considered too low have you been told that you have low hemoglobin no i know i have low hemoglobin i've had four or five blood tests in the last six or seven months. Okay. My hemoglobin was 92 or 9.2. Okay. As eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sent me to an internist and he did a colonoscopy and a scope. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, I lost a lot of blood and it plummeted. Right. I went in and had two units transfusion and got it back up to 9.2. Right. I've been checking it every five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's worked its way down to eight eight point three. Okay. And I I'm in a lineup to get a referral to another uh, specialist. Right. And uh, it seems to be going down four point four mm-hmm. every six weeks, sort of thing. Like, is it is it kind of seventy where you have, or seven point zero where you have to go get a transfusion? I don't know exactly at which point you would need the transfusion. What I can tell you is that if your hemoglobin is low and it's dropping, the reason why they're doing like things like a colonoscopy and things like that is they're looking if there's blood loss happening because as you lose blood, you would th- obviously mm-hmm. lose hemoglobin. So there's a reason why your hemoglobin is dropping. And I think the more important question is what's causing that drop in your hemoglobin? And there's different types of pathologies and diseases that can lead uh, to low hemoglobin, I think if you're in a line to see a specialist, that's you're doing the right things. That's the next step. Uh, it's probably a good conversation to have with that specialist at what point you would need some type of a transfusion. But that's really all I can really say about that. I, I need, I would need to know more 
uh, definitely about what's going on with you from a full history perspective to maybe have a hint of what could potentially be causing this drop in hemoglobin. But again, I think the important part here is figuring out not not necessarily it's important to worry about the low hemoglobin, but I think the more important question is what's causing that low hemoglobin. Get to uh, Keno before we uh, we wrap for the day. How are you? Hello? Hi, how are you? Not too bad, sir. Good. What's uh, what's your concern? Well, I'm I'm suffering with vertigo, mm-hmm. and it's bothering me because like walking sometimes is okay. I can walk, but I must have someone with me to. I want to walk with a cane too, mm-hmm. and I can't stand up for long periods. I have to sit down. Okay. Have you done any treatment for this vertigo, or had it diagnosed properly? Well. My doctor sent me for a few tests and so on with the people and said, they say everything is all right there. Mm-hmm. It's not causing this problem. For your ears, you were checked? Uh, yes. Okay, and they said, and what, what part, did they check for the crystal component of within the inner ear, or were they checking for hearing? Do you know? Well, they checked for like all along, they think, for that thing, because I told them when I went for the check, was to, east, was to uh, check for the vertigo. Right. Yeah. That is causing the problem. Yeah, it sounds like you need assistance with the vertigo. I think the key here is we need to figure out, is it a true vertigo? And if so, what's causing the vertigo? Again, give us a call, free consultation. We can talk about it more, figure it out, and, and we can see where we can help you from there. So much to get through this week. We need to carry on until next week. In the meantime, you need to get a hold of Dr. Lou. It's uh, it's no problem. It's one eight five 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 doctor Lou. Free consultation. Get in there, get your problem solved, or info at paincarecanada.com. Till next time, the Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.